In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus traveled around Galilee, teaching and healing. Crowds gathered and followed him. Jesus went up on a mountain and taught the most famous sermon ever given, the Sermon on the Mount. In this sermon, he starts with eight statements that all begin with the word, blessed. Join us as we journey through these eight descriptions that show where true joy and abundant life can be found. We are in a series that we have been calling Blessed. And it comes from the the Beatitudes. If you've never heard of the Beatitudes, they are the first eight statements that Jesus made as he began his most famous teaching. We know it as the Sermon on the Mount. It's in your Bible in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Again, I've recommended this all throughout the series. If you have never sat and read that all the way through, I'd encourage you to do that. Um, Doesn't take that long. You can probably do it in just 15 or 20 minutes all the way through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he's talking about a different way of living. And he begins with this idea that there are eight virtues that we should base our life upon, kingdom virtues, very different from what the world is doing. And so each one of them, he says, look, if you want a blessed life, it's going to come from the kingdom virtues, not the the worldly virtues that maybe you've been raised to believe. And so he starts, blessed are those and blessed are those. So far, we've done five of them. This is a much longer series than we're used to doing. So if this is your first Sunday, if you've missed any of them due to travel, uh, go back and get them online because today is six of eight. And the reason that that's important, it's not because I I sit at home hoping you hear everything that I say online, but it's because we need all eight of them in our lives. We we started the whole series with, with understanding this is not like your high school report card where if you make an A in math, your mom will ignore the D in English. That's not what we're going for here. In order to get the blessed life we want with the kingdom virtues, we have to work on all eight of these. We have to bring all eight of them into our lives. And so if you've missed one of them, it could impact and will impact the others. Matter of fact, the first four will determine your ability to to do the next three. And I'm only gonna say enough about that to make you wanna go back and get them because I explained that last week as well. So today we're on the sixth one, and every one of these ends with a promise. Not only is there blessed with the people who do these things, but then it explains what the blessing is. Each one of them comes with a unique promise from God. And so today the promise that we have is that we get to see God. And I've told you many times before, there is something I believe to be true about everyone, everyone. Not just church people, but everyone. I think everybody would love to see God. I believe no matter what they think about God, if they could see him for who he truly is, if they could see a revelation of him for people who say he doesn't exist, I tell you what, they'd love to see him if he does. We happen to know that he does, right? I believe everybody would like to see God at a a different level in a different way. And as we talk about seeing God, that's a little bit mind-boggling, isn't it? Because we know the Bible says God is spirit. So the idea of seeing God is like, I don't want to see a ghost. That's a little bit scary. I mean, there's a reason every time an angel shows up, the first words out of their mouth are fear not, you know? I mean, so how how would we see God? Well, I, I don't know exactly what that would look like. What we do see throughout Scripture is that God will reveal his majesty in ways that mankind can comprehend. And so it's been different for different people. And and Moses would be a great example because Moses asked to see God. And God's response was, well, you can't see the fullness of me. It would kill you. So I'm going to reveal a part of me in a way that you can see. And the way that Moses got to see some of God is he, he passed by a mountainside and And scripture says that Moses got to see his back. So he took a form that revealed some of himself to Moses. 
And, and so I think every one of us would love to have an amazing experience where we say, wow, I've got to tell you about this. I mean, Moses was like, I've got to write this so that for thousands of years people will know what happened to me. And I, I hope everybody's kind of in the same place. I, I would love to see God in a way I never have. And, and I don't know what that would look like. I don't know if it's, he's going to take me to a mountainside and pass by like he did with Moses. You know, it's not always something that has to be a, a physical thing as well. I mean, maybe you've had a great prayer time and you've just known God is right there and you've discovered something in your revelation of who he is. And I would like to think that if I were to stand up here in a year, that I could tell you a better story of a revelation I've had with God on a prayer retreat or something like that. I would like to think that I'm not going to do this for the next 20 years and say, hey, I want to tell everybody a story that happened to me 20 years ago. Anybody with me? I mean, anybody, no matter what your current revelation is of God, wouldn't you love more? Well, that's the beatitude that we've gotten to today because I, I think what Jesus was aware of is that we all want that. We all want to see God, but there was something getting in the way. And so the sixth beatitude, Jesus simply says this, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And Back to what I was just saying, all throughout the series, we've pointed out how different this is from worldly virtues. And I think this one was very, very timely. As Jesus was saying this, because the religious teachers of the day were teaching on purity, but they had it all wrong. It had nothing to do with the heart. They were actually teaching that purity came from the outward rituals that you did, like making sure you washed your hands before you ate and you didn't walk too far on the Sabbath and you observed the festival of booths and whatever their other things were. Matter of fact, they had actually come up with 613 ritualistic rules for you to be pure. And they challenged Jesus on, well, how dare you? You just picked a piece of grain on the Sabbath. How dare you? You, you didn't wash your hands before you ate. And Jesus' response about their idea of purity says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, which is lying, slander. These are what defile a person was his response to them. He's like, dirty hands is not the problem. Your dirty heart is. Ooh. But that's really the Jimmy translation of what Jesus just said there. And so he comes along and says, look, if you really want to see God, washing your hands and observing the festival of booths is not going to get you where you want to go because you're not dealing with what really is offensive to God in your life. There's something inside. Purity of heart. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they will see God. Okay, so now that we understand what he was getting at, by the way, it hasn't changed much today, has it? Now that we understand that, we can, we can get back to the question, so what does it mean to be pure in heart? Well, let's simply break it down. We've got two key words, and it's going to be the best way to understand it. Pure simply means that we're free from any other substance. It means it's unadulterated. Let me give you my best understanding of it. It is a chocolate chip cookie <laughs> with beautiful, large chunks of dark chocolate. Yeah. There is only enough cookie to hold the chocolate together as you bring it to your mouth. <laughs> that makes it pure. Only what is necessary to be called a cookie. The adulterated version is a chocolate chip oatmeal cookie. When you start trying to put healthy things inside of beautiful chocolate chip cookies, you need to go back. It's not pure anymore. We've adulterated such a wonderful, wonderful thing. Heart. Most of the time when we see the word heart in the Bible, it refers to our soul. What it's really getting at is 
the center of a person's identity and will. What do we want and what drives us? How do we see ourselves? It's our identity and it is our will. Now, when we talk about being pure of heart, a lot of people immediately go to the private side of this. They think purity of heart means let me get alone with God, let me take a prayer walk, and let me just deal with what is going on in here. And that is true. That's the beginning. The problem is some of us think that's all of it, and that's not all that Jesus meant. Because purity of heart is not only what is going on inside of us that God sees, but it is what comes out of that heart that the rest of the world sees. It it affects our relationships. It affects how we are revealed to the world. And so, so far, several times throughout the series, I've shared with you a quote that I came across doing my research because all of these smart people with PhDs just say it so well, and I want to do it one more time. And so, speaking of purity of heart, this is what one of these uh, intelligent, great Bible scholars had to say about it. He said, look, in his relations with both God and man, he's free from falsehood. So the pure in heart are the utterly sincere Their whole life, public and private, is transparent before God and men. Now, let's just say that last sentence again. Could any of us say this is true of us? Our whole life, public and private, is transparent before both God and men. Anybody? Good. You don't get to go eat early. I get to keep preaching. So so what this actually means then is that there's a secret purity of heart that's going on inside of us, and and there's a revealed purity of heart that comes out to the rest of the world. And and it's obvious, the secret purity of heart is the part that only God in us knows. Nobody else knows. It's the stuff that's inside of you, even if you've talked to somebody, even if you think you've got a really great friend, and, and even if you've got a spouse, I promise you, every single human has something in here that is not out there yet. And you know, one of the reasons is because Maybe God is the only one who knows the secret purity of heart. The truth is, we don't always know our own hearts. That's one reason, even if we are trying to be transparent to a spouse or a best friend, we maybe haven't gotten there, is because we're not always in touch. You ever had an aha moment, you're reading through the Bible and you go, that's me? Yeah, you just got in touch with it. That means you didn't confess it five minutes ago. And so the only person that knows the secret purity of heart that we have is, is God. We're next in line. But the people in the world probably have very little understanding of what's going on in here, at least until we get to the revealed part, and that is us coming out to the world. And really, maybe the best way to say it is like this. Is the you that the world knows the real you? I mean, look, there's a version of you the world knows. Matter of fact, there's probably more than one version of us that the world knows, but we'll talk more about that in a moment. Is the version of you the world knows the real you? Maybe I could word it like this. Uh, To what extent do your words and actions reveal what's really in your heart? Think about that. Do the words that come out of your mouth and the things that you do truly reveal what's going on in here? I I was at a pastor's conference this week uh, down in Alabama, and there were pastors from all over the, the country that were at this thing, and we were uh, in the lobby right before it began, just kind of introducing ourselves, and I uh, just met a guy and, and told him where I was from. He asked where he was from and found out I was from South Carolina, and then there, there was another guy came up, and uh, he was from Texas, and so this, my new friend that has decided to introduce me, he says, hey, this is Jimmy. He's from South Carolina, and the, the pastor from Texas reaches out his hand to shake my hand and says, well, bless your heart. 
Now, if you were here last week, I explained what that meant. If you're from the South, you already know. But the point is, don't, don't smile at me and reach out your hand to shake my hand while saying, it's a pity you're not from the great state of Texas like me. I, it took everything in me to make sure that as I reached out my hand, I shook his hand instead of slapped his face. I was like, bless your heart. No, he ain't blessing my heart. I'll bless something. That's what we're going to do. To what extent do your words and actions reveal what is in your heart? Maybe you'd like to think of it this way. To what extent do your words and actions cover up what is in your heart? Oh, that one hurts too, doesn't it? You know, sometimes in church people say amen. Sometimes they say, oh my. Blessed are the pure in the heart. And few of us, I think, would say, that's me. I'm a, I've arrived. I'm all there. Hopefully, you're on a journey. Hopefully, you say, I, I would like to be more of that. I'm working towards that. But if we're going to begin to understand a little bit, we have to be honest with ourselves. And, and, and well, the truth is, many of us don't actually try to be pure. And, and I don't know if we've really owned up to that. I don't know if you've taken time to think about that. When was the last time? Let me just ask you a question. When was the last time that you had a conversation with somebody and, and the word pure was part of it? When was the last time that that's even what you alluded to? Like you were having a conversation with somebody saying, hey, listen, I, I, was, I just want to share with you what God is doing and how he's revealing how far I am from him and how much more he wants me to be like him. And, and this is what he's challenging me to change so that I can be more pure. Anybody had or heard or been a part of a conversation like that in the last week, last month, last year? Purity the pursuit of purity is honestly, it's a lost discipline in the church today. And I actually can say I just had this conversation with Kent this week, but not because it's something we were doing other than talking about my message and talking about the things that we're seeing as we're doing some research for this. And so it literally is something that is just not on the forefront of what we do. There used to be a time where the pursuit of purity was utmost, like first and foremost. Matter of fact, I've got a, a TV with a screensaver. Some of you have it too, because it's one of the, the major brands of TVs out there. And you know, if you ever turn on your smart TV and you don't choose something soon enough, it starts showing you the beautiful pictures of all the places you've never been in the world. Yeah. Apparently, this brand of TV and some travel agent are trying to get together and make us dissatisfied with life, so we'll go out and travel. But anyway, one of those pictures, if you've ever noticed, is of a, a, a house built on top of like this really thin like mountaintop thing. Anybody ever seen that picture? You know what I'm talking about? Like it's right up there and it's like there is no way to get up there. There's no road. There's no nothing. Okay, that is actually a picture of a monastery. And there's more than one, but the one that you're being shown is probably one in Greece. And I've had the privilege of visiting one of these monasteries. And the reason that they built it that way is because you had to, to climb your way up. They had to cut some steps out of the sides of the rocks. And this particular one actually part of the way up the mountain, put a locked gate. So even if you could manage to kind of risk your life and scale getting up to there, you, you still couldn't get any further. So they had pulled all of the materials up by ropes and, and, and all this kind of crazy stuff, and they built this monastery so that they could get away from the world and try to be pure before God. The world around them only worshiped maybe one day a week. And they were like, we, we got to worship, you know, three or four times a day. We've got to spend our entire day in prayer. We, we've got to have nothing around us except the presence of God. It was a pursuit of purity. Now, look, let's just be honest. That was an extreme, right? And as they were doing that extreme, in this case, at a mountaintop in Greece where nothing could get to them, as they looked out at the rest of the Greek world, they saw a whole lot of people that were going to hell and did nothing about it. 
So uh, the problem is how do we get everything that we need into our lives? But we have, in my opinion, lost a little bit of the pursuit of purity. And, and there are a few reasons. And Well, one of those is because I don't think we compare ourselves to God as much as the world. I didn't get an amen on that, but that's okay. Here's, I didn't expect one. It hurt, right? Here, here's the, the point. When I was growing up, even here in the Bible Belt, it was still publicly the ideal to wait until marriage to be intimate with your spouse. That was still the public ideal. I realize a lot of people privately were, you know, not, not really living up to that. But that was still what we said. And, and if you go back even a few more decades, it was maybe even something more would aspire to culturally. But when I was in college, uh, we, our campus ministry, you know, everybody starts, you know, getting connected. Oh, hey, and then they start getting engaged and then... There was this, this, this goal of like, we're waiting until marriage. And that's, that's what we're going to do. And matter of fact, in my particular campus ministry, there was like this strange, crazy idea of like, we're gonna have our first kiss at our wedding. Y'all, that was a thing. Like a group of people actually all agreed they were gonna wait and have their first kiss at their wedding. Why? Is because they were pursuing purity. They wanted to be as pure as they could. And I'm not saying that your first kiss at your wedding is necessarily the answer. I'm just saying that there was a pursuit of purity, right? And the truth is we no longer look at God and say, how can I get closer to you? We're, we're no longer focusing on that. We're happy with the word acceptance of, well, I'm not as far away as the world. Because, to be honest, sexuality and gender and several of these topics for our young people today the age that I was referring to for me, at their age, it's become very fluid and very different. And what I've experienced as a pastor when I do premarital counseling, more than half of all of the premarital counseling I've ever had to do, got to do, I had to stop at one point and explain that there is a different idea of purity, that you guys might want to adjust your lifestyle until your wedding. Because we, we look at the rest of the world and we're happy that, well, you know, God, look at that. Is this acceptable in your sight? I'm here. This should be acceptable in your sight. We're no longer going for what is pure in your sight because we're not comparing ourselves to God. We're comparing ourselves to the world. You guys with me? You may not have loved all of that, but I hope you're with me. So I think another reason that we don't pursue purity is because we maybe have a misunderstanding of our salvation and how the pursuit of purity is a part of our life. Because how many times have we said or heard somebody preach, God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. And you're forgiven of all your sins. And so we get saved. And I, I hope that you've exchanged the life that you had for the one that Jesus has for you. That's what we call saved. And, I, and then you know you're going to heaven. We go, well, I'm forgiven of all my sins yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And because we know we're forgiven, once again, we just focus on the word acceptable. And, and we don't understand that there is still a heart for God to, to get closer to him, it's something that he wants for us. Matter of fact, here's what David said in Psalms. says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? It's talking about a, a fellowship type of experience with God, getting close to God. It says, well, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. What that means is that the revelation of God in our lives, the ability to see God, not just in heaven, not just in the future, it does mean that as well, but our experience with God right now a revelation of him is actually dependent upon not just being forgiven, that's eternity, and it does make us right with God, but the deeper we want to go with God is going to depend upon a pursuit of purity, trying to become more like God. 
Are, are y'all with me? It means that, I'm going to put this on the screen for you. Because I, I worked on the words. I wanted it to be something that you could actually remember. And, and we confuse this idea. See, here's the truth. God does love you so much that he redeems you as you are. But he loves you too much to leave you as you are. It's one of the great theological misunderstandings in the church world today. God loves me so much, he redeems me as I am. I'll see him in heaven, I'm great. Being redeemed and forgiven and loved is not the same as being in the closest fellowship and being pure before God. And then, well, the Bible just really explains ultimately what all of that leads to, and that is that we become double-minded people. We love God, right? I mean, look, James 4, 8 says this. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And that explains it. We are not single-minded. A single-minded, a person who is pure in heart is single-minded in their devotion to God in every single way. And although we're working there, our double-mindedness keeps showing up. And what I mean by that, what the Bible means by that is, well, we do love more than one. We love God. But we also love the world. I mean, let's just be honest. And we have more than one priority. We want to honor God, but we also want to take care of ourselves. And we have more than one role model. We have Jesus, and we have Instagram influencers. I mean, young people, let's just be honest. We don't wake up every day. Old people too, by the way. We don't wake up every day and say, today, I only want to be like Jesus. No, we, we scroll through Instagram and go, man, I want to do, I want to dress like that. I want to be like that. I want to have a party that looks like that. I want to, I mean, we, we have more than one role model. And, and I'm not saying that we're like evil. I mean, just follow what I'm saying. We're just, we just got more than one thing going on. That's why the Bible uses the word double-minded. We're just a little torn. That's maybe a good word. We're torn. And, and so what Jesus is saying is let's, let's see if we can get a little closer to God so we're a little less torn and pulled away by some of these other things. So back to our question. Since none of us would say I've arrived, how do we become more pure in heart? And that's what we're gonna finish with today. Well, we've got two areas of being pure in heart, right? So we're gonna look at both of those. Uh, one of them is where, what'll get most of our attention. And, and it starts with the secret inner heart, the inner heart that God knows. It, it's being pure in the private part because if we, can, if we can become more pure in our inner heart, then we'll have less to cover up about what's coming outside, you know? You see what I'm saying? So if we can focus on this first one, let's talk about what is costing us our purity of heart when it's just between us and God. And uh, first of all, I wanna read the beginning of that verse. If you're familiar with it, the one that I just read, I read the second half. The first half says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. See, here's the truth. As we just begin to step closer to God, God gets closer to us, we automatically become more pure because what happens is as we get closer to God, we discover that there is something in us that is not like God, and we begin to rid ourselves of anything that is not like God, and we begin to rid ourselves of anything God does not like. Y'all follow that? And all we have to do is just get closer to him. Just begin to make it a part of life where we realize he is always there as we draw closer to him. Uh, the, the next thing, I'm gonna give you some really practical things, very, three super practical. Are you guys okay if I just give you like the most practical list ever? Okay, the things we look at. The things we look at affect the condition of our heart. Here's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. He said, but I say to you, everyone who looks 
at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What you're seeing is changing the condition of your heart. And I use that one verse as an example, but it's not the only example. I think he would say, what you look at with lustful intent materialistically, next thing you know, you're dissatisfied with what God has given you, and now you've got to have new stuff even though your old stuff is perfectly good. I mean, everything. What we are constantly looking at in any realm of our life is affecting the condition of our heart. It's determining whether we're going to be satisfied and whether we're going to be pleased and or whether we're actually going to end up going out into doing some action that would qualify sin. So look, I could do an entire message. Matter of fact, I could do an entire series on what we need to do with our eyes. And I, I, if I say any more, I'm just gonna go for another 30 minutes just on that one topic. So I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you that I'm gonna stop right there for now. But I'll, I'll just, uh, I'll leave you with this thought on it. If you window shop long enough, you will buy. Even if you can't afford it. And I'll just leave that. The other thing we need to think about are our thoughts. David said in Psalms, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. Look, all of us have had a thought pop into our head where we're like, what is that? Where did that come from? And that's where the Bible says, take every thought captive for Christ, you kick it out. But what David was talking about were the thoughts that we let stay, the meditation of my heart. We let it stay, it's there, we're pondering on it, we're thinking about it, we're focusing on it. And matter of fact, what becomes the meditation of our heart is usually connected to what we just saw. Now the two are tied together. But not only, let, let me pick on one more word that he said, because I've, I've said it several times and I want to make sure we don't miss this. David didn't just say, let it be acceptable in your sight. Let it be okay that I'm at least this far from the world, but I'm still that far from you. And in all honesty, some English versions do translate it that way, but I'm not out to be acceptable, I'm out to please God, and I hope you are too, so... May the meditation make the constant thoughts of my life be pleasing in your sight. And then this one, this is, this is tough, but how we respond to God's word. It says, how can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. Not just by hearing it, not just by reading it, but by actually responding to it. And the reason for that is, if you've ever been around me any period of time, you know, I, I repeatedly take every chance I can to explain what this is. This is the revelation of God himself to his creation. God creates man, puts him on earth, but now God is in heaven, they're here, you know, and, and sin comes along. And how does anybody know who he is? Well, he has revealed himself through his word. And, and so when we read something in here that says, this is who God is and this is what he wants from you, but we don't do it, it's like taking a step away. It's like turning around and walking out of the room while someone is talking to you. And so one of the ways that we can be more pure in our inner heart before God is anytime we discover who he is and how different that is from us, we make the change. We don't say, well, I'm sure it'll be okay because I'm forgiven. You may be forgiven, but it, it's still affecting your ability to see God here and now. And as I said, if we, man, if we can just really go after what's going on in the part nobody sees but God, there'll be less that we have to try to manage that comes out to the world. But I'm gonna to touch on just a couple of things real quickly that'll help us think about how to be more pure when we think about purity of heart before man. And, and I'm just gonna give you a simple illustration that will honestly sum it all up. 
It's like when somebody comes up to you and, hey, would you like to go to dinner with me and my wife or me and my husband? We, we would just love to have you guys over to our house. And, and you look at them and go, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. We can't wait. Turn around, walk away. Honey, I just want us to come over for dinner. You know that. I hate those people. I just don't hate them. They're so they're fake. I just can't stand them. I just... It's not pure in heart. Now, look, there's a, a whole series I need to do on how to get the truth in your heart to come out in a way that is kind to the world. If anybody walks away from this message, would Jimmy just told me to say what I'm thinking and feeling all the time and just, no, 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 no. That's, that's not what I'm saying. It's not what Jesus meant. What Jesus meant is if you agree to go to dinner with somebody that you actually want to be there because you're disingenuous to them. If you're wasting their time. They think they're developing a friendship and you are just enduring the night. It's not pure in heart towards them. And again, that's a whole nother series on how to, to deal with that. I'm just laying out that what Jesus would want is when people think that we say something, when they think they know who they are, when we do something, that, that they would be able to believe that's the real us. And so it does start with our words. We smile to people's faces, but we say things behind their back. That's not pure in heart. There's another word for it, but we're just going to stick with that's not pure in heart. When we say things to be nice, but we don't really mean them, that is flattery. It's not pure in heart. Sometimes we put words on things like flattery and go, oh, that's okay. It's just flattery. No, it's being disingenuous. How about the mask we wear? And I'm not referring to the COVID ones, everybody. The truth is we've become someone just to be around other someones. And some of us have so many different masks, depending on who we're with, we don't even know who we are anymore. And I think one of the biggest struggles that we have in our world today is because fake is exhausting. You can only keep up with your mask for so long It, it's affecting us. We're going through one of the greatest mental health crises ever, and it is real. It is very real. And, and at least a portion of it comes out of the fact that we're not pure in heart to the world. There's such a, I've got a mask for Facebook. I've got a mask for Instagram. I've got a mask when I go to church, and I've got a mask when I talk to that person because, and at some point, it, it wears on us. How about our motives? When you have an ulterior motive, you ever been around somebody and you think they want to be your friend and after the few conversations you get together for coffee, you discover they just wanted to invite you to their multi-level marketing strategy? And you're like, seriously? And it breaks your heart. I mean, not that that's not something you want to be involved in another time, but it breaks your heart. You thought this person was genuine and saying, hey, can we get coffee? Oh, that's great. Because the devil already tells you people don't love you enough. And so along comes somebody with an ulterior motive. They, they act like they're beginning to love you. Hey, could we get to know each other? It turns out they had a whole nother thing. So our motives to be genuine before God. So I, I wanna close with a very important point that hopefully you won't miss. Because if, if I may have done more damage than good if you miss this. So wake up if you're thinking about where you're going for lunch. If somebody has tuned out at home and gone to the kitchen and started to make your coffee, come back. Because see, here's the thing. This message 
blessed are the pure in heart, it comes across as a very go try harder kind of message. I mean, it really does. And I've tried to be very careful in how I, I delivered it. Because what a lot of us will hear is, oh man, I'm just not good enough. I ought to, I should, I, I need to, I got to try harder. And many of us are not very excited right now because we're like, I know I need to respond to what he said, but oh man, how depressing. So hear me. This is not a you got to try harder. You can't do this alone. Earlier in the series, what I encouraged you to do was to adopt a prayer out of Scripture. Like, like help yourself every day with just saying, God, have mercy on me. I mean, I'm a sinner. God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I, I, I need your help to get through the day. I don't have enough in me. And hopefully some of you have adopted that and you've been putting that into your life. I'm gonna, I wanna encourage you to add one more prayer out of the Bible as well. Very, very short. It's what King David said. Create in me pure heart. Oh God, I can't do it alone. I can't try harder enough to get there. I mean, at some point, I just can't get there alone, God. You know when King David said this? By the way, King David, the Bible says that God referred to him as a man after his own heart. But he sinned, and he sinned grievously. He had an affair with a woman, and in order to try to make that work, he had the husband killed, if you don't know the story. That's pretty, pretty bad, isn't it? And when he became aware of his sin... I mean, I don't mean like he wasn't aware why he's doing it. When he became aware of the effect it was having on him and his relationship with God, he didn't wake up and say, okay, God, I'm going to be better today. I think he fell on his knees. The Bible doesn't tell us that part. No, actually, I think he fell face down on the floor. But the Bible does tell us what he said to God. God created me a pure heart. Because I, what's going on in here is not pure and I can't do it alone. So please do not leave today hearing, try harder, try harder, try harder, because that is the prelude to everything the devil wants to say to you. You didn't try hard enough. You didn't do good enough. Don't give the devil that opportunity. Wake up every day and go, God, I'm aware this is not as pure as it needs to be, and I can't do it alone. Have mercy on me and create in me a pure heart. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you are so good to answer such prayers. We know that these are not meaningless words, but if we come to you, draw near to you, you will draw near to us. It's your promise. So if we say, God, we're drawing near by saying, please come, create in me a pure heart. Do something that I can't do alone. I, I, I am going to be obedient and, and do what you tell me to do, but I can't get there alone. God, come. Heal my heart. Create in me a pure heart. Oh, God. And God, we thank you right now that we, in faith, can trust you to do that, that we know that you will. Thank you, God. And if you're just saying a place of prayer, I want to take a moment and speak to those of you that have yet 
to receive that free gift of salvation I referred to earlier where we know that we've been forgiven not only for yesterday, for today, for tomorrow because Jesus came, lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. And when his blood was shed, it paid for your sins. But it's a gift that we each have to actually receive. And for some of you, maybe that is today, right now, October 17th, 2021. And you're ready to trade the life you've been living filled with guilt for the one that is filled with love and acceptance. And if you'd like to do that, wherever you are, simply say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. And I thank you that I'm forgiven. In my simple prayer here today, will you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom? Amen. Everybody help me celebrate with those people. Amen.